Ta. El quinto día recita Shakespeare con gracia y soltura. El sexto día ya piensas en inglés. ¿Y el séptimo día qué? ¿Descansas? No, no. Al séptimo día ya estás de vuelta en casa con un nivel de inglés mucho mejor. Ven a Vaughan Town, un lugar en el que seis días equivalen a 500 horas de clase de inglés. Vivirás en un entorno 100% angloparlante en el que tenemos un gran número de actividades para que desarrolles tu inglés, te sueltes y te olvides de la timidez. Vence a la vergüenza en Vaughan Town y mejora tu nivel de inglés. Llama ahora al 91-133-5833 o entra en grupovaughan.com. Las mañanas son más productivas con Richard Vaughan. You're listening to Richard Vaughan Live. Welcome. Here we are, back together again, again and again. It seems to be a daily occurrence, but not really, because my programs now are only on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And today's Tuesday, the 28th of February, the last day of the month. Yes, sir. Next year, I think, is leap year. I think it's leap year next year. Leap year is el año bisiesto. So I think that next year we'll have an extra day. If I'm still on the radio... If I'm still on the radio. If I'm not on the radio anymore, no. Okay, let's do some inverse translation work. ¿Cómo te sientes siendo millonario ahora? How do you feel? Or how does it feel to be a millionaire? How does it feel? ¿Cómo se siente? ¿Cómo se siente uno? How does it feel to be a millionaire? Igual que siempre. The same. I feel the same as always. The same as always. I feel the same as always. Yo creía, yo creía que tendría más tiempo libre. I thought I would have more free time. Yeah. I thought that now that I'm a millionaire, I would have more free time. Pero resulta que no. But it turns out, it turns out that I don't. It turns out that I don't have as much free time as I thought I would have. I don't have as much free time as I thought I would have. I thought I'd have a lot more, much more, a lot more free time, but I don't. Which I don't know, because I'm not a multimillionaire, so I really don't know. But Richard, if you were a multimillionaire, would you buy a, a yacht? Well, it depends on your definition of multimillionaire. I mean, if I had so much money, that, then yeah, why not? If I had more money that I could spend... Because when you buy a yacht, it's very expensive. You have to have a place to park the yacht. You have to have people to take care of it, the maintenance. You have to pay taxes on the yacht. You have to pay port fees and everything to put to, to, um, take the yacht out to the high seas and then take it back into the port. There's a lot of bureaucracy. So you need to have people to, uh, to handle the yacht and to take care of it. So I would probably, probably too much. Too many headaches. So I'd, I would have to be so rich that it wouldn't really matter. I can hire 50 people to make sure that everything concerning the yacht was perfect and that 
I simply went to the coast, got onto the yacht, and took off. But if I were a multimillionaire, I probably wouldn't buy a yacht. I wouldn't. Pero yo creía que tendría más tiempo libre. I thought I would have more free time. ¿Te das cuenta ahora? Do you realize now? Now do you realize? Huh? Los ricos también tienen problemas. <laughs> Rich people have problems too. Maybe. Rich people have problems too. Pero es mejor que ser pobre. But it's better than being poor. You know, that's an interesting question. I'm not so sure about that. Esto es un libro de traducción. I'm reading the sentences. I'm not sure about, you know, it depends on your definition of happiness, feeling satisfied, enjoying life. I don't know. I've met a lot of rich people. I've given class to the children. You know, I, I've given personally about 30,000 hours of English class. Of those 30,000 hours, maybe 200 or 300, maybe 1%, which is a lot of hours, 300 hours, I've given to the children of wealthy families. And I have found that in 50% of the cases, more or less, uh, the children are very well brought up. The parents were uh, made a special effort to bring up their children well. They'd be nacidos, as you say. Uh, but the other 50% was a, just the opposite. They were um, a complete mess. Very spoiled. And, um, and I didn't find among the wealthy people I have dealt with, I didn't find that they were happy. I was happier. I was, con I'm sure that I was happier, a happier person than the wealthy people I have met here in Spain, and probably it would be the same in the U.S. I don't know. But uh, the people I have met, I've given classes to the children of very, very wealthy people, and also I've given class to some very wealthy people. And I didn't find them happy. I found them worried about silly, unnecessary things, in my opinion, in many cases. And I think it's the same in the in in my in the states where I come from. But in any case, let's go on. Se ser rico es mejor que ser pobre? Quizás, yes, maybe it is to be poor. It depends. Just the other day, well, two what was it? Two weeks ago, or almost two weeks ago, I had. Uh, if you remember, I had Pedro Delgado de la Serna here, who has suffered all his life uh, serious um, medical problems. He's lost one of his legs and he's had, he is on permanent dialysis. It's a real struggle for him. However, he's always with a smile. He's always has a positive outlook on life and he's always, um, recommending and encouraging people to live life to the fullest. And everybody, I mean, there's, there are very, very few, very few people on this planet who are living life so precariously as he is from a physical point of view. And so, because the doctors, from the time he was six months old, the doctors predicted his, his imminent death. And, uh, the first doctors didn't predict he would reach the age of one, but he did. 
And they didn't predict he would reach the age of five, but he did. And now he's 40, he's all, he's going on 46. I think his birthday is next month. And he'll be 46 years old. He's married, has a, a young daughter. He's a physical therapist. He teaches physical therapy and, and anatomy at a, at a university. And he's, he's a very, see, he's apparently a very, very happy man. And he emanates vitality and optimism. And so, uh, he's happier than any of the wealthy people I've met. And he spoke about the time he lived in Kenya because he spent some, maybe a year or two uh, living in Kenya, but in the rural areas of Kenya in which the people have adobe huts, chozas de adobe, adobe, adobe huts. And he said they were very happy because you don't miss what you don't know. You know, noches en falta, noches de menos, o que no poses, o que no conoces. For example, my, my grandparents, when they were born, in the first 10 years of their life, they didn't miss air travel because it didn't exist. They didn't miss cars because it didn't exist. I've just finished reading a book. Interesting book, by the way. <laughs> I didn't buy it. It was given to me as a gift. And it's called La Biblia en España. The Bible in Spain. The Bible in Spain. The Bible in Spain, published in London in 1843. That's 180 years ago. Is a travel book by the British writer George Barrow. It was a popular work when it appeared. Okay. And Barrow tells of his travels through Spain while working as a Bible salesman in 18, from 1835 to 1838 during the first Carlist Civil War. Primera Guerra Carlista. But it's an interesting book, to tell you the truth. I didn't expect to finish it, but I'm, I, fin- I did. And he travels. First, he travels from Lisbon to the Alentejo, to the Alentejo. And he travels to, and he travels to Elvas on the border. And then he travels into Spain and into Badajoz and then to Trujillo. And he travels through these areas. And then he travels to Madrid. And he's selling Bibles. And he's selling Bibles in 1835, but he has terrible problems with the Catholic Church, with the bishops and the archbishops and the politicians and things, because they consider him the devil. But he's selling the New Testament. Están vendiendo nuevos testamentos. But it's interesting from the anthropological point of view when you study the way people lived in Spain. And, uh, they, and how they moved around. Of course, he traveled by horse and by donkey and by mule. Horse, donkey, and mule. And it's interesting when you read, he's talking about the different qualities of the horses. Uh, certain types of horses that are better in Galicia. When he was in Galicia, 
The Castilian horses or the Arabian horses could not survive, and he needed a different type of horse. And they're talking about these things. Of course, today we think, my God, that's poverty moving around the country by horse, but no. Now we have cars, planes, fast trains, and things, but we take them for granted. We take them for granted. The, uh, my grandparents in their first 10 years, they were happy. You can be happy with very few things. It just depends on, it's an, what you have inside, inside you, the internal satisfaction with life and satisfaction with yourself. But in any case, I don't want to get philosophical today. Let's continue. Voy a realizar todos mis sueños. I'm going to fulfill all my dreams. This is correct English. I'm going to fulfill all my dreams. But probably we would say all my dreams are going to come true. All my dreams are going to come true. Todos mis sueños van a hacerse realidad. Decimos venir verdad. Literalmente, to come true. All my dreams are going to come true. Well, that's not true in my case. None of my dreams have come true. What do you mean, Richard, none of your dreams have come true? Well, because I've never had dreams. What do you mean you've never had dreams? No. I've never had dreams. I've never approached life from the point of view of developing or establishing dreams. My dream is to become a multimillionaire. My dream is to win an Olympic gold medal. My dream is to become a respected businessman. My dream is to teach English on the radio and television. No, I never had dreams like this. I visualized outcomes sometimes. That's different. To visualize outcomes. Visualizar desenlaces futuros. Donde te ves, pues sí, ganando el trofeo de gol for some years. I visualized these things, but I was not obsessed with them. So I've had no dreams. It's interesting, the, uh, the movie South Pacific, a very good movie, by the way, a musical of the 1950s and a Broadway musical, a stage musical, Pacifico Sur, South Pacific. It's just, there's a, a woman, a Polynesian woman, or an, or an Indonesian, Bali, in Bali. And she says to a young American aviator during the Second World War who falls in love with her daughter, and she says, you've got to have a dream in life. You've got to have a dream. She says it with a Polynesian accent. You've got to have a dream. If you don't have a dream, how are you going to have a dream come true? Claro. Si quieres un sueño hecho realidad, requisito primero es tener un sueño. First, she says you've got to have a dream. Because if you don't have a dream, how, how are you going to have a dream come true? And so I agree with that. But it's not applicable, I think, in my case, because I've never had dreams in that sense. I dream of becoming, I dream, I'm not sure if it's a good idea. You know, it's an interesting debate. Should we have dreams? Because if you have a dream, that sounds pretty strong. That sounds like a, a, 
a strong desire to accomplish something or to reach a certain status or to reach a certain position in life. And so uh, I've never had that. I think it's because I just live day to day. And I recommend to people, I always say, Dotai loi de la máxima caridad. Recuerdo una persona me preguntó una vez, ¿y quién es el hoy? No le conozco. No, I said, Dota el hoy. <laughs> no el hoy. Dota el hoy de la máxima caridad. Just, which means, make sure that everything you do today is the best you can do. And the tomorrows, the tomorrows will fall into their place. Everything will turn out fine. It's impossible to fail if every day you try to do your best. In the long run, you will fail maybe on a few things in the short term, but in the long run, no. You'll be successful. Over a 40-year period, you'll be successful if you make an effort to make sure that today is the best quality you can give. And your dreams will come... Your Your dreams will come true even if you don't have dreams. <laughs> I've never had a dream. It wasn't my intention to come to Spain. It wasn't my intention. I was 20 years old. I had just returned from a trip to uh, the Soviet Union during the winter for a 20-day period. Uh, in December 1971 and January 1972, I spent three weeks in Russia, two days in Finland, and two days in London. And then we returned to the United States, and I started the um, the th second semester of my second year at SMU University in Dallas. I had no intention to come to Spain, it didn't even occur to me. He said, me había corrido venir a España. In February and March, well, maybe in February 1972, I had no intention. It didn't occur to me. But I think in March or maybe April, I was in the, I was in the building where they have the language programs, you know, for Facultad de Idiomas, you know, for French, Philologia Francis, French Philology, Spanish Philology, etc. And I don't remember the reason. I think I do remember the reason, to tell you the truth. I took a placement exam. A placement exam. Un examen de colocación. ¿Qué significa eso? A placement exam. At the, in the American university system, you can gain university credits through examination. For example, if you're very, very good in mathematics, you can take an exam in, in, I don't know, ge advanced geometry, and you don't need to take the course if you pass the exam. So I decided to take the Spanish placement exam because In the university, it was mandatory to take 12 credit hours in a foreign language. It was part of the required courses. We call signatures requeridas o obligatorias. We say required courses. And so you had four semester courses in a foreign language. Everybody at the university. 
So you choose, perhaps you could choose Spanish, Portuguese, French, German, Latin, Russian, Chinese, Japanese. And the the major universities offer all these languages. And it's mandatory to spend four semesters doing this. And so I, I, I thought, well, okay, I will try to take an exam in Spanish in order to avoid taking the classes, and I will get 12 credit hours. I took the exam and did it perfectly. I passed it with flying colors. Se dice así, lo aprobé con colores voladores. We say with flying colors. I passed it with flying colors. Because, as I've told you many times, in secondary school, I took six consecutive years of Spanish. Not because I was interested in Spanish, simply because why not? I had no idea what to do with my life, and it didn't matter. I knew things would work out. Todo saldrá bien en mi vida, en la vida. It was just an approach to life. Todo saldrá bien. Everything will come out okay. So I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life when I was 20. But I always said yes to every stimulation, to every offer, to everything offered. That's why I went to the Soviet Union. I said, why not? Hey, cool. Tres semanas en la Unión Soviética. During the middle of the Cold War. Why not? And my parents supported me on this decision. And, uh, and then I was, I took that placement exam. And I passed it perfectly, and I received automatically 12 credits from the university. Of the 124 credits I needed to graduate, 12 already, almost 10%, very close to 10% of my course load, I, I managed to uh, acquire with one two-hour exam in Spanish. And so I, um, but when I was in that building, I saw, you know, waiting to take the exam or after taking the exam, I saw on the bulletin board, Año Académico en Madrid, an academic year in Madrid through SMU University, Southern Methodist University. I said, cool. If I had not seen that, Notice, if I hadn't seen that notice on the bulletin board, I wouldn't be here now speaking to you. You know, if that notice had not been on the bulletin board that day, or if I hadn't taken that, that placement exam, I wouldn't be here. This is, and I, my children would be different. Everything would be different. That's life. And you have to deliver yourself to this reality. You have to allow circumstances, la circunstancia de Ortega, de Ortega said, you have to allow circumstances to, to bathe you, bañarte arriba abajo, to, to impregnate you in things and so you, to permeate through you, allow circumstances and then you can impose your will, imponer tu yo, imponer tu voluntad sobre la, las circunstancias. You can impose your will, will. But you can't, you can't, um, deform circumstances or form circumstances to your will. 
you have to allow circumstances to guide you to a certain extent and you impose your will along the way. So I saw an academic year in Spain. I said, okay, why not? Sounds cool, Spain. But I repeat, I, I never would have gone, come to Spain if I hadn't seen that notice on the bulletin board. So it's accidental. The reason I came to Spain as a student was totally accidental. All right. And then I spent a year in Spain. The first semester in at the university, and the second semester, I uh, simply lived in Madrid. I didn't study. So I didn't accumulate any university credits in the second semester. And I lived with a Chilean family for one month in Calle de los Astros, in the Barrio de la Estrella in Madrid. Then I lived with a Colombian family for three months on Doctor Esquerdo. And then I returned to the States and finished my degree. I finished my degree at the University of Texas in Austin. I switched. I transferred my credits to uh, Austin, Texas. And then I decided to come back to Spain to spend two years. I came to Spain and uh, I came with $300 in my pocket. And for the first two, for the first three weeks, really, I, I traveled around Spain with two American girls. We rented a car and I spent about $150. By the way, at that time, one dollar stretched a long way in the Spanish economy. And, and I, um, when I got back to Madrid, I had about $100 or $150 in my pocket. I stayed in the apartment of a, an American I knew. And the following day, I found a job teaching English in Berlitz, where I stayed for three weeks only. But I had no intention of teaching English. It was not my intention to become an English teacher. And then, one, three, two and a half years later, I formed Baogun Systems. I formed this company. But it was not initially my idea. So everything I've done in life, the result is by accident. And you have to understand that many times in life, things are by accident, but you need to apply your will. And with that, I'll say goodbye until, well, I have, I'll be back in four minutes, so don't go away. Este verano, apúntelos a un campamento en el que se divierten de verdad. Apúntelos a un campamento de inglés Bauban. Llámanos al 91-133-5832 y te informaremos sin ningún compromiso. 91-133-5832. Imagina poder comunicarte con total soltura. Sin miedos, con confianza. La barrera psicológica la romperás definitivamente en tan solo seis días. Manda a Baugantown a un amigo empleado que esté desesperado con el inglés y obsérvale seis días después. El cambio que verás te sorprenderá. La inversión en tiempo y dinero tendrá un retorno impresionante. Allí, entre angloparlantes de los más variopintos, avanzarás mil kilómetros en confianza, convicción y aplomo. Dominarás sus entornos de comunicación a pesar de un dominio aparentemente imperfecto del inglés. Ni seis meses en el extranjero da lo que seis días dan en Bauentown. 
El MIP o Máster en Inglés Profesional está diseñado para los alumnos más exigentes, para aquellos cuyo futuro profesional requiere un alto nivel de inglés hablado y escrito, para aquellos que están dispuestos a ponerse en serio con el inglés con dedicación exclusiva. Se trata de un programa intensivo de cinco meses de duración que al finalizar el alumno habrá estado en contacto con el inglés durante más de mil horas, repartidas entre clases presenciales, horas de estudio y horas de inmersión en Baugantau. Y recuerda que tienes una prueba de nivel gratuita para determinar tu nivel de inglés oral y escrito. Llámanos ahora al 911-335833. 911-335833. Me apunté al curso trimestral porque quería mejorar el inglés, lo que pasa que no estaba muy convencido porque no tenía muy claro si iba a ser una clase pues aburrida y monótona que hemos tenido siempre pues en el instituto que al final no, no te motiva nada pero el primer día que nos metimos ahí y el profesor nos empezó a meter caña pues vi que eso pues no iba a ser para nada monótono Cursos trimestrales de Baugan 911335833 o grupobaugan.com una semana en un lugar apartado Nativos angloparlantes de todas partes del mundo Uno por cada estudiante Terminantemente prohibido hablar en español Actividades organizadas y conversaciones en inglés a todas horas No exageramos Aquí o hablas inglés o hablas inglés Y da igual las veces que te lo contemos Hasta que no lo vivas no sabrás que Town te va a quitar el miedo al inglés para siempre Lo que pasa en Town no se puede contar Tienes que vivirlo Ven a Town. Más información, grupobaugan.com Máster en inglés profesional a tiempo parcial. Más de 500 horas de inglés, 5 horas entre diario o fin de semana. Una inmersión en Vaughan Town incluida. Disponible en Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia y Zaragoza. Aquí llega Lorena Martínez con la última pregunta del examen. Vaya, parece que le ha caído el pass perfect. Lorena lleva toda la temporada entrenando el pass perfect, pero nunca ha sido su punto fuerte. ¡Wow! ¡Eso es Lorena! ¡Vamos, vamos! ¡Fill the gap, Lorena! ¡Wow! ¡Increíble! ¡Has acertado todas, todas! ¡Qué barbaridad! Señoras y señores, qué crack el examen es de 10. Consigue que tus hijos sean unos auténticos cracks del inglés. Con los cursos del Club Junior no solo mejorarán sus notas, sino que hablarán inglés de verdad y serán capaces de comunicarse. Y por si eso fuera poco, lo pasan genial en clase. Club Junior son las clases para niños de 4 a 17 años en grupos muy reducidos y 100% método Baugan. Infórmate ya en el 911335832, 911335832 o en grupobaugan.com. Listening to Richard Vaughn Live. Welcome back. Okay, we're back for our second half hour of today's today's last edition of the month of February. Yeah, February is over. Yes, today is the 28th. And this is my last half hour. What can we do today? We can talk about the, the moon. The moon orbits the Earth. 
the moon. When I was growing up, when I was a little boy, very little, five years old, people in America said that the moon is made of green cheese. De queso verde. Eso está hecho la luna. The moon is made of green cheese, but now I know it's not true. Yeah, the moon's not made of green cheese. Also, I remember the mother of a neighbor of mine, when she got angry with her little boy, she said, the man in the moon is mad at you. The man in the moon is mad at you. And I remember looking up at the full moon, and you can see a kind of face in the moon. Yeah. And that's the man in the moon. Now, a man on the moon is Neil Armstrong or Edwin Aldrin or the other astronauts who have spent a few hours or a couple of days on the moon. Uh, but the man in the moon is the face. And she said, Jimmy, the man in the moon is mad at you. And I looked up. I was maybe four years old, five years old. I looked up at the moon and said, wow, Ushima. I mean, my God, because when I was growing up, there were several people that could be mad at me. God, Jesus, and the Tooth Fairy, and of course, Santa Claus. I had to behave well. Otherwise, Santa Claus wouldn't bring me presents. So I had to be careful and not, and not offend Santa Claus by being a bad boy. And of course I, I had to be, I had to behave well and not misbehave because otherwise God or Jesus would not want me to go to heaven. And then the tooth fairy, what you call a ratoncito penis. I mean, if I was a bad boy and misbehaving all the time, then the tooth fairy wouldn't come and leave any money under my pillow. And then finally, I learned from this mother's and my God, there's a fourth person that it's a man on the moon. The man on the moon, or the man in the moon, excuse me, would be angry with me or mad at me. See, see, must in America mad at, get angry with. Mad at you. I'm mad at you. Estoy enfadado contigo. I'm mad at you. I'm angry with you. And so I remember, I still remember to this day, I was maybe five years old, looking up at the moon. It was a full moon. And seeing that face in the moon and thinking, my God. Is he actually watching me? The man does the man in the moon really exist? Well, in a certain way, yes. It's the same as Santa Claus. Does Santa Claus really exist? Oh, yes, he does. He does. Uh, does. Does the tooth fairy really exist? Oh, yes, she does. It depends. I've said many times. It depends on your definition of the the concept of existence who has whose existence is more powerful on this planet Cervantes or Don Quixote and Sancho Don Quixote and Sancho have a greater influence on you and me and on people in general than the author Mr. Cervantes so they exist and Santa Claus has a very strong influence on people, or Papa Noel, or Los Reyes Magos, the three wise men, the three kings. They have a strong influence on the behavior of children, and um, they have a strong influence simply on the family atmosphere during a certain period in the life of the family. So, yes, they definitely exist. Y las megas de ver las islas, you know, in Galicia, yes, they exist. Spirits exist, because... We think about them, 
Some people actually believe in the material existence, material existence. But you see, one thing is material existence. Another thing is spiritual existence. So the man on the, the man in the moon, as far as I'm concerned, exists. Now, I'm pretty sure, bastante seguro, yeah, that this moon isn't made of green cheese. Okay, fine. But what I'm not sure is if the moon is a natural object, a result of a collision with the earth or the breaking off of a part of the earth to create the moon. Because the moon is mathematically perfect in its orbit. It's always one face of the moon. You never see the dark side. It's mathematically perfect to the millimeter with the sun and the earth. And it's so perfect that many people believe that it's just physically impossible for that to happen by accident, that the moon is so perfectly positioned as the earth turns and the sun and the earth goes around the sun, the earth orbits the sun, that the moon can be so perfectly stationary where you see only one face of the moon and you never see the dark side. And NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, has sent, uh, of course, probes to the moon, and they have crashed lunar modules. Los módulos lunares, these lunar modules that for seven missions to the moon they used to um, to land on the moon, well, these these some of these lunar modules were ejected and crashed onto the surface of the moon. And when they crashed, they created a ringing sound, like hitting a bell. And for up to an hour, there was a ringing sound. The scientists in NASA captured a ringing sound from the moon when the lunar module was crashed into the surface. And so they think, my God, why is it making that ringing sound? Could it be that the moon is hollow? La luna wicca? And if the moon is hollow, it means it's maybe it's a, a satellite placed by alien beings to, to supervise or to watch the evolution of life on this planet, on the planet Earth. And so it's perfectly stationed going around and observing, observing the surface of the earth. Yes. So maybe the moon is hollow. Hollow is the opposite of solid. Hueco macizo o solido. It's, um, and maybe there are alien beings inside monitoring everything you and I are doing and saying and feeling. And trying to reach conclusions, or maybe the moon is has been hollowed out by future humans. Because for me, the UFOs, the flying saucers, are simply future humans coming back, our descendants coming back in their anthropology class to study you and me in the 21st century. But they're coming back from the 27th century because they have developed... Technology has led them to develop time machines. And so these time machines come back. And they can't make contact with us. They can watch, observe, conclude, 
study, <laughs> assess, but they can't touch us or make contact because if they do, it could change the course of history and they would disappear. Because if they came down to the surface, our future descendants, 5,000 years from now or 500 years from now, if they come back and they come down and modify something or accidentally modify something, that will change the history and it could be it they would disappear. So they have to be extremely careful not to make contact with us. Because it's strange that we've been having these sightings. A sight is la, is la vista, sight. También es un lugar turístico, a sight. The Palacio Real is a sight. Sightseeing is ver las cosas. Hacer turismo. To go sightseeing. But to sight, como verbo. To sight means avistar. Avistar. It's a sight. And a sighting is un avistamiento. Now, the sightings of UFOs, unidentified flying objects, we, this has been happening for many decades and more, more, more centuries. I, now, the fact that we have never truly made contact is strange to me, which makes me think if they were aliens from another planet, they would make contact in some way. But if they are humans from the future, from the year 3000, and they come back, they can't make contact because it would be too sensitive because any contact would influence the the future and modify how things are. So it's, it's imperative that we, you, human beings today, don't know that these Apparent aliens are not really aliens. They're simply our descendants. and uh, But they can't tell us that. They are condemned to remain anonymous, silent, and simply watchful, watching us, observing what we do in uh, La Signatura Antropología Humana o Historia del Mundo. They go back and watch. They come back and they watch the... The war between Russia and Ukraine to see what really happened for their history books <laughs> and things. Or to watch Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Pedro Sanchez and see how Spain and Europe. That's interesting. I like to speculate on the air. Why not? Conjecture and speculation is fun. Is fun. But talking of the moon, the moon is part of the solar system. The solar system... The solar system is, I mean, we live in the solar system. The Earth is part of the solar system. There are nine, well, there are eight planets in the solar system because Pluto is no longer a planet. It's no longer considered a planet. It's too small. Uh, Pluto used to be the smallest planet in the solar system, but it's not the smallest planet anymore. It used to be, but not anymore. It used to be, but not anymore. Why? Because it's not officially a planet. Now the smallest planet in the universe is Mercury. Mercury. Fijaos en la pronunciación. Mercure. No, mer mer Mercury. Mercury. No, Mercure. Mercure. The first syllable and the second syllable sound identical. They rhyme. Mercury. Mercure. Cure como una cura. Curame. Cure me. Mercury, mer, como quemar, burn, quemad, mercurio, 
Burn Mercury. Burn Mercury. All right, so Mercury is the smallest planet in the solar system. It's also the closest planet to the sun. It's also the planet that needs the fewest days to orbit the sun or to go around the sun. So, but it's not the hottest planet. They say, the experts, they say that Venus is the hottest planet. It seems strange to me, but if the experts say that, it must be true. We have to believe the experts, right? Well, it's interesting. Maybe not in astronomy, but maybe in many other fields, there are experts who disagree. So if the experts disagree with each other, then who are the experts, really? I mean, there there are three possibilities. The group of experts, number one, is right, and the group of expert number two is wrong. That's one possibility. A second possibility, the group of experts number two is right, and the group of experts number one is wrong. Fine. Possibility number three, that both are wrong. (laughs) So, that's interesting, because of the three possibilities, only one is correct. That means group A has a 33% probability of being correct. Group B has a 33%, and there's another 33% that that um, neither one is correct. So when you listen to the experts in many fields of activity, there's a 67, 66.6% likelihood that they are wrong. All right. So should we listen to the experts? I don't you I well I read about I read what the experts say but I take things with a bit of a grain of salt. I take things with a pinch of salt, the British say, which means I don't necessarily believe them. Now, if the experts say that Venus is hotter than Mercury then Maybe in the questions of astronomy, and especially concerning a celestial body that is so close to the Earth. I mean, Venus is very close to the Earth relative to other celestial bodies, cuerpos celestiales. And then most likely they're right that Venus is hotter because of the atmosphere. Venus has an atmosphere, it's covered by clouds, and so the condensation uh, makes the, the surface of Venus apparently hotter than the surface of Mercury, even though Mercury is quite a bit closer. Quite a key? Quite a bit. Bastante más cerca. Mercury is bastante más cerca. Mercury is quite a bit closer to the sun than Venus, but Venus apparently is hotter than Mercury. So Venus is the hottest planet on the solar system, in the solar system. Neptune is the coldest planet because Neptune is the farthest from the sun. Because I repeat, Pluto is no longer considered a planet. It used to be, but not anymore. It used to be, it used to be, antes si lo era, o se consideraba. It used to be considered, but not anymore. So Neptune is the coldest planet in the solar system. And it's the farthest from the sun. And Neptune is the planet that takes the most time 
to orbit the sun. I think it takes 37 of its 1,026 years. I can't remember. Yeah, I can find out. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Let's see. Yeah, time. I'm going to put the time it takes Neptune to orbit the sun. 165 Earth years. Wow. (laughs) I said 1,026 years. No, it takes 165 years. That means I was born and I will die before Neptune finishes its orbit around the sun. Nobody in the history of this planet, the planet Earth, has lived to observe the beginning of of Neptune's orbit and the end of Neptune's orbit. Now, the next to last, you know, Neptune is the farthest. But Uranus, Urano, Uranus, is the next to last. Your Urano, let me write it right. How long does it, does it take? How, the time it takes Uranus, U-R-A-N-U-S, to orbit the sun. Now, it takes Uranus 84 years. So which a person who lives, for example, to age 90, well, during that person's lifetime, uh, Uranus will have begun one of its orbits and successful, successfully completed one of its orbits. All right. Neptune is the uh, Neptune is the farthest from the sun. It's farther from the sun than Uranus. But Uranus is the second farthest. And it comes after Saturn. So Saturn is the third farthest planet from the sun. Uh Saturn is farther from the sun, a lot farther from the sun than the Earth. The Earth is the third planet. The Earth comes after Mercury and Venus. Yes. And the Earth and Venus are almost the same size. I think the Earth is just a fraction larger. Una fraccion más grande. I think the Earth is bigger, but just by the hair of its chinny chin chin. Un pelito de su barbilla. Which is bigger? I'm going to ask the question, which is bigger? Which is bigger? Which is eager? Me falta la B. Which is bigger? The earth? The earth or, or, uh, let's see, or Venus. Venus. Aphrodita. Venus. And we'll find out. Which is bigger? The earth or Venus? Conuve. Venus. I think the earth is slightly bigger. Yes. Let's see, the Earth is, the the planet is nearly as big as the Earth. All right. Our nearness or closeness to Venus is a matter of perspective. The planet is nearly as big around as the Earth. All right. The uh, Venus, the, cir- the diameter, diameter, that means from one, the diameter of Venus is 12,104 kilometers. 12,104 kilometers. Now, the diameter of the Earth is 12,756. 
So the Earth is about 650 kilometers longer, well, bigger in diameter uh, than Venus. I wonder how they measure that so closely. Yes, of the Earth, I think it's not too difficult. 12,756 kilometers, but how do they do it for Venus? You know, science is interesting. I don't usually question science. However, if you look at the evolution of science, you know, people today talk about things, you know, that are that's considered fact. Well, the people in the 19th century considered ether to be a fact. They must say, yeah, de la atmósfera de la tierra estaba el éter. And that was a fact. Everybody was convinced, you know, that that was a fact. Of course, now people laugh at it. People laugh at the concept of ether. Will people laugh at the concept, some of the concepts that we consider true truths or facts today? Very likely. It's very likely, you know. And so, uh, so you never know. Never take anything as at face value. Never, never sell your soul to an idea because 100 years later, it could be proven totally incorrect for many, many, many years, many, many years. Doctors and medical researchers and experts considered stomach and duodenal ulcers to be a result of stress and tension or poor dietary habits. Yes. Las úlceras duodenales y estomacales. They considered to be a stress and tension. Finally, it was proven, it was finally proven by an Australian doctor that, that stomach ulcers and duodenal ulcers are predominantly caused by helicopter pylori, by a bacteria. And that you can eliminate the problem of stomach ulcers and duodenal ulcers, usually with the proper antibiotic treatment. But it took, a, it took 20 to 25 years for this Australian doctor to convince the medical community. And Big Pharma. Big Pharma. Big Pharma is the word we use in English para los grandes laboratorios. Um, químicos, laboratorios. The pharmacos. And Big Pharma was against this doctor because the treatment of ulcers was a very lucrative business for Big Pharma. Yes, there were there's one there was one company Glaxo that made a lot of money selling Zantac, and Zantac was a good it, and is still a very good medication for stomach indigestion for stomach acidity, and it was a good medication to to limit or to, re to reduce the stress and the symptoms of ulcers, but it was no cure for it. And this Australian doctor insisted for 20 years, and finally he convinced the medical community and the scientific community that ulcers could be eliminated through simple application of antibiotic treatment the right way. He won a Nobel Prize for medicine. But in order to convince the medical community, he had to self-inflict himself with the bacteria. So he ingested, he ingested the bacteria and uh, he developed his own stomach ulcers. And he 
applied the correct treatment and he solved it and cured himself. So he used himself as a conejillo de Indias. He used himself as a guinea pig. So it's it's fascinating when you look back at the history of science and the different concepts or the different um, approaches or the different laws that were considered law, that later were proven to be absurd, etc. And so we find that. And, and so which means that what we consider laws of science or nature today could be proven incorrect. I mean, even with quantum mechanics and quantum theory, we're trying, we're finding things. But I have to go, I think. I'm running out of time for the last class of February 2023. Uh, have a great day, okay? Take care, and I'll see you again. Se está preparando para ser piloto. Lleva 500 horas con el simulador de vuelo y mañana es su primer vuelo real. Con 500 horas de simulador estará súper preparado, ¿no crees? ¿Quieres subir con él mañana en su primer vuelo? Y por otra parte, mi novio Tomás también se está formando como piloto. Pero solo tiene 5 horas de simulador, no 500 como mi hermano Raúl. Sin embargo, ya ha llevado una